Boom. That's where all the action is. So uh, we're using zoom.us because I, uh-huh. I've got my new machine here and I haven't installed Skype on it. I had, I had some other uh, first time equipment I was going to try. I got, I got this lavalier, if that's how you say it, microphone. And I Ooh. even got the special extension cord with the, uh, I don't know, TRSS, some sort of jack that's got three rings on it. So it's special. And I was, I had it all set up and I, because I figured, uh, you know, I've got a big microphone I always take. And the problem is uh, it always gets pulled aside from security, this microphone I have, and people freak out about it. Cause, and then also I have to carry it. And I figured with, with this microphone, I can also hook it up to my iPhone and do interviews with people. Anyways, that's a whole other story. So I plugged it into my new laptop, and then I went to go plug in my earphones so I could monitor the sound. Turns out there's only one little jack on my laptop. So I've got to figure that out. Where's my uh, microphone's a USB mic, which then I yeah. can to uh, USB-C, of course, so that I can, I can hear and I can record at the same time. But I think it would have affected the quality of the podcast if I couldn't hear anything. I don't know. Maybe it would increase it. <laughs> I, I, think, I think our, our listeners tune in for the, for the gritty realness of the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you should promise, Gote, I think at some point you should promise a 60-minute monologue. I think oh, yeah. there wow. would actually be um, quite a bit of interest in just you, 60-minute monologue on really whatever you want. I think that would well, be I mean, I think. I think everyone knows what my destiny is. It's basically to be Andy Rooney. That's that's what I've been looking for. <laughs> See, I, I, I was about to say to, to you, you're going to be the guy who, you know, hey, uh, we're going to need someone to uh, to just talk for the next hour. Can can you do that? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I do now. But, oh, okay, okay. But I need something more organized in five minute chunks, just about yeah, like funny yeah. things that happen, like uh, like like I'm here in Bologna. I think they, they call it. And they've got these rent bikes and uh, they're all the, uh, the lady version of the bikes, you know, that go down presumably for dresses. I don't really know. You know, you got the bike that like goes straight across for men that mm. if you kind of like fell down, you would, as they used to say, rack yourself. So it's, it's even more confounding. And then yes. there's the w- women's bike that curves down gently right now. Yes. Two things the women's bike has going for it. One, easy to get on and get off, right? Because you don't have to like throw your leg over there. And, and then you can ride side saddle. Oh yeah, yeah, and you can do that. And then two, like I said, like I feel like the men's bike, you're gonna like you know get yourself in the balls and it's gonna hurt. And so like I don't really understand why why they're different. Yeah, it doesn't like I I realize this biking around a lot in the old Amsterdam. There is like the men's bike is terrible. Right. I mean, maybe at some point there was some structural thing when bikes were made out of bamboo and it was like mm-hmm. more structurally sound or something. But I think nowadays you don't need that men's bike nonsense. I think the only thing, and there's probably a workaround for this, but the, you know, sometimes what you can do is you can put like an infant seat, like right behind the handlebars screwed into the, uh, that bar, whatever that's called. Uh-huh. That's a thing. But I think, but then no, I've also, I've seen where you just add some extra metal, like right there on the lady's bike where you can put that seat on there. So, so. The, the, the real question would be like in, you know, women's competitive bicycle racing, they probably mm. don't have that, that, you know, it probably looks like what we're calling men's style. It's probably just like, that's the way bikes should be for like durability. And yeah, you know, the, the old way is, is, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just totally outdated and, and, and useless. Antiquated. Anyway. 
antiquated. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. there should be one style of bike. Electric. So, anyways, in, in Bologna, they have rental bikes, and they're all lady bikes, and man, they're awesome. They're great. Like I keep, I keep like wanting to throw my leg over it and realizing I don't have to. It's so yeah. nice. I feel like though we should update it because I think we're gonna get some emails on this. I think maybe the proper term <laughs> would be like leisure bike or like uh, bike. you know, it's kind of uh, sometimes it's called comfort bike. I think that just means okay. one where you don't have to. It's not necessarily gender specific anymore. Is, okay. Uh, it just means you don't want to climb up over it. And, yes. Uh, yes. So, Utility so bike. I've rented a, a comfort bike in my day. It's it's been nice. Yeah, it's it's really great. So so uh, I forget how I got on that topic, but so you got you got you got <laughs> Zoom.us now. Now is that is that Zoom us like Zoom us or is that Zoom fuck yeah America? I, I don't know which, which one that is. I think it's, no, I can tell you exactly what it is. It means zoom.com was already purchased. That's oh. but, but, but there's no zoom.au and, and no.com. That's what I'm saying. I, I feel yeah, like maybe right. this, is some, this is like the Mickey Mouse of conference calls. It's, mm. like, it's like American imperialism through like. Yeah, it, this, this shows that they did not think out their, their global strategy in advance. They're like, mm-hmm. you know what? We're going to focus on North America first, and you know we're not going to do a, a, a Canadian domain. They're they're fine. They're they're used to you know going to .us sites anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, well, well, we'll just you know zoom.us, and then of course they took off. They're very popular, and and meanwhile here we are, uh, Italy and Australia asking you know where's our you know zoom.it and .au? Come on, man. Yeah, I really would works. be great. It'd be zoom it. Zoom it. Zoom it. Oh. But I believe it. So I think there's, if you want to know more about Zoom, I think it's in uh, Masters of Scale, which is like this Reed Hoffman podcast, where mm-hmm. Zoom was a sponsor. And what they did is they like chopped up like a little story with the interview of the founder. So as, rem- as I remember, he actually either worked at or started WebEx and then, of course, left and started Zoom. And he's got, I think it, as it was, like no one could call him except his wife not using Zoom. And there's other big thing was video that everyone needs to be using video. And somehow oh. at the end of this call, we could also get some kind of analytics was another thing they were pitching. Like we could see like who talked the most, who, you know, who talked the least. I don't know. So somehow there was like, and he pitched it something like, like maybe you're a manager and it's like, are you letting your team talk? Or are you talking too much? And so there, I've never seen it actually used. I've been wow. on many calls. So I don't know, maybe afterwards we can post the, the zoom stats. Uh, yeah, I, I, I forget i forget who brought it up but i don't, I don't think they were talking about this but it, whatever it was it was making me think like uh how many like more conference services do we need to fucking have right like <laughs> I, I feel like i feel well, like see, it, it must though, right it must be a commodity service or, or something right like it's well it, we're paying for this yeah yeah sure but but like i mean what am I trying to say? Like it all looks the same. And and is there that much like hard innovation to be had in like making it better? And well, then- it's, it, it sounds like they had a pitch deck that had innovation in it. Right. Like, you know, Oh, you know, we're going to, we have all these huge plans for voice and, and, and we're going to have metrics on managers and you'll know who's, you know, hogging the calls. And then they're like, Hey, look, you know, now we got to work in Italy. <laughs> Well, no, I think there's two things. So there's a fashion kind of component to it. And then there's just, you know, technology getting old, right? Because I think at one point, WebEx mm-hmm. really dominated. But then there was a point where I think WebEx 
Every, a lot of people got frustrated with it. It was just like the browser plugins weren't working. And then there was kind of this flurry of it. And I think that's where Zoom started, like join me. Um, and I don't know. It's just, and I think WebEx is now, in, in fairness, I think they've woken up and they've sort of fixed up theirs as well. Right. So I think there is this kind of this legacy. And also I think there's this notion of how everybody believes voice and chat should be integrated, right? But I, every time one of these things does that, it doesn't work that well. It, they, both, they both suffer. Like, like Slack actually has I think, the ability to do calls, but it's not mm-hmm. good. Uh, and I've been using us, uh, we've been using Skype and I've even uh, ventured into uh, Microsoft Teams territory lately. And oh it's boy. Like, whoa, whoa. Oh, boy. Skype for that place, Yeah. Well, that's, it's like another version of it. And it's like, it is actually very, very good for calls, but like the chat, you're like, no, this is like something went wrong here. That's not yeah, what I yeah. want. So, so I don't know. I think that's, that's why you keep seeing people iterate on these. Yeah. Yeah. They're all terrible. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe, maybe you know, what, what you're saying is making me think uh, maybe there's a pattern of, I don't know what to call it, startup innovation windows where, like, you have the dominant service and they just don't want to spend money anymore, uh, you know, like, making it better. I guess this is classic uh, innovator's dilemma, kind of, sort of. But, like, you get your WebEx or your meeting, and they're basically just like, all right, let's harvest cash and not innovate this thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And download like Adobe Air to run it or something or some old JVM. And then someone comes along and pitches Reed Hoffman and they get like $50 million and they don't have to make a profit. So they make a better, <laughs> make a better product. And then eventually well, think, WebEx is like, oh, now we got to catch up. And so they like, you know, in the, in right. the and I think you have that plus this is, um, you could say messaging, let's just, you know, mm-hmm. use that, that category is, is really maybe one of the only kind of network effect, um, businesses that touches enterprises you know so there is this idea like if you get enough people using zoom in a business and people and businesses are used to paying for things that like yeah you can get a little network effect going and actually build a business right so i think you know whereas when you're you know if you whatever uh, building some new database monitoring stuff you don't get you just don't get the network effect so that's why i think you just keep seeing things pop up over and over well especially on the the network effect of you know i i've been using zoom for quite a while now, I guess, um, in, in their life. And at first, you know, you, you'd throw a link to a, a customer or partner or whatever, and they'd be like, what is this? You know, and, or you know, our corporate firewall won't let it in. And now it's like, oh yeah, Zoom, right? And so they, they've gotten that penetration where it's like, well, you know, we're, and, and Slack's the same way. Right. So, it, you know, if you if you tell a customer, oh, you know, just let's have this, uh, you can ping me over an IRC. They're like, no, no, I'm not allowed there. Right. But, uh, oh, yeah, Zoom, they can do, or, you know, Slack, they can do, Zoom, they can do, IRC, they can't do, you know, Skype still blocks some places, but if they're Microsoft shop, they opened it back up, right? It's, you know, there's just, there's a, a corporate list of approved protocols. And if you can get on that list, you're golden. Now, now there, there, we, there was, uh, Brandon found a whole bunch of security things, which we can get to, but, but you two seem to know security stuff better than I do. Here, here, I don't, I don't want to have a, you know, earth shattering provocative question, but there is a high amount of variability, as you were just saying, Matt Ray, amongst enterprises that do all sorts of things. They're not all just like launching missiles. Very, that doesn't all happen with most of them. And they just like, you know, various ports don't work and things don't Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. Like, is there really a reason for that? Like, couldn't you just have all this stuff working? (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, the reason is the enterprises are full of like non-savvy users who are like, oh, what's this link do? Huh, doesn't appear to do anything. I guess I'll go back to work. And you know, they click on things and it's opening ports and trying to get out to places. So pretty much like if you're running you know, security for an enterprise, you're like, I got to just keep the, I got to put walls up facing inside and outside, you know, nothing yeah. can go out and nothing can come in and we got to scan as much stuff as we can because we can't trust our users. Right. But, but, um, I, but I mean, I mean like, I mean like, you know, zoom should just work everywhere. Right. And Skype should and Slack should like there's, well, but I think you're hitting on like just something that's going on there. So it's basically a tax surface, right? There's this old, uh, yeah, yeah. there's this old school thought in security, right. That, kind of it, taking it from warfare it's like let's just minimize the attack surface by walling off right we have like known ports and no one else you know can get in but there is i mean you, you if you spend more time in the security thing there's this idea of like zero trust where it's just like you know really every endpoint you just don't trust anything right in the sense of and that's what and what i mean by that is not that you lock everything down it's just sort of like you kind of assume everything you know your computer to your point that people are going to go places they shouldn't that they're going to accidentally be out. They need to get to applications you don't know about, but that doesn't mean that you try to put everyone behind these firewalls, right? It means that you take other steps mm. and kind of assume like if you're really sensitive applications, right? You know, the, the sense is like zero trust. I'm not going to trust anything uh, for the sensitive stuff because I know no one should really be back here or they're going to have to do a lot of different things to get in here. Whereas you, my uh, Kote, you know, you throw your laptop up on the internet. It's like, whatever, go for it. You know, because I'm going to, I, I don't care what you do on your laptop. You may hurt yourself, but like, it's not going to spread to anything important. And like Google's, I think somewhat famous for that. Right. It's like, they're, yeah, they're not, they're not, um, yeah. The, the idea there, right. It's like, yeah. Like, you know, we understand that everyone's going to be out on the internet. We're not going to spend a lot of time with firewall rules, which is mostly what people do. So yeah. I mean, it just seems like I'm sure we, I mean, we all experience this. You go and have some meeting and it just like, you can't do anything because you're a foreigner. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't well, and, I don't and, and then what what's happens? going on here. Yeah. You're in the bank and ever, everybody just busts out with their phone and they're like hotspot in. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then you got to do the thing where like, we're like, you're on your machine and then you got your zoom us over your hotspot and then you get the uh, webcam yep. of someone's there machine to point it at you. So it works on their Skype with business. It starts echoing and, yeah. Yeah, and then you're like, and then you got to talk towards those microphones over there. So the people on the meeting can hear, it just seems like, I don't, I don't like what, what, uh, I would what, sum what, this up though is no one gets promoted for providing uh, free Wi-Fi to visitors. No yeah. one. <laughs> that is uh you get, that will eventually get you fired. Even if it wasn't your fault, you get, promoted by like giving a bunch of slides that show oh we, we had a new firewall tool and then we got this new sim tool and we we put yeah. virus protection on everyone and then i recently ran into some some encryption on my laptop that i didn't know was there so i was like oh good god you're trying to get a a a, a, a windows uh, key to get back into the laptop so oh boy so, um, these are things i think people should be fired for but they're mostly promoted <laughs> Uh, that's what gets you promoted when you just lock out, when you reboot your laptop and then you're like, suddenly you need a security key. It's like not a good feeling guys. Not a good yeah, feeling. Yeah. I like, I like the zero trust idea where it's basically just like, how about you tell me if you should be able, able to do this or not? And, and, then, right. and then you could do whatever else you like. It's like, you know, I got my own laptop here. Every, I don't ever have to VPN. I don't ever have to be on the, the pivotal intranet. So maybe that's why it's so great, but it's just like, I don't know. Everything works. 
and I don't have like some little thing checking policies and other nonsense. But you see that a lot more. I think mo- a lot of companies today, you can get to email, right? And you know, your basic, your benefits and your kind of your basic stuff. I feel like that's more and more that's available with no VPN, right? People just put it out there and you just do simple authentication. So, I mean, it has changed a little bit. Like if you went back to 2000 or before that, it was just like, oh my gosh, everything had to go through the VPN. Yeah. That's when you had your bring your own device. So anyways, I think we can all agree that it's Zoom us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which, which, if I remember my late '80s like Zoom stuff, I don't know if that's if that's uh, if that that seems like a problematic. Uh, what do you call that? An imperative when you're telling someone to do something? Zoom us, get zoomed, or U.S. Yeah, like I go around, you know, outside of the U.S. and there'll be a billboard to go to Zoom.us, and I think this is some crazy conference call imperialism that's happening, but but I guess it's not you know well we're just zooming us well <laughs> not even a sponsor and we'll ramble about them i, I know that would, wouldn't that be great if they were a sponsor zoom us uh well you know speaking of you've got a lot of things that you have zero trust for all sorts of it that you're worrying about you got a monitor and uh i don't know maybe you'd like some tool that you don't need to run internally to do it or you need to have a mixture of them do, do we have something that people might be interested in Oh, we absolutely do. Our friends from uh, SolarWinds are a sponsor this week, and they want you to know ab- <clears throat> about their tools designed for DevOps, those being Pingdom, App Optics, Paper Trail, and Logly. Today's recognized pillars of observability combine metric, traces, and logs to enable DevOps teams to monitor system and application performance. But these capabilities provide only limited insight into application performance because they ignore the user experience, a critical measure of application performance. Understanding if a system is slow or unavailable from an end user's perspective is crucial in today's digital world, even if the metrics are good and there are no alerts. Altogether, the combined functionality of Pingdom, App Optics, Paper Trail, and Logly brings together real user monitoring, synthetic user monitoring, web and application performance metrics, distributed tracing, event aggregation, and log management to help proactively identify bottlenecks and accelerate troubleshooting. By bringing user experience, metrics, traces, and logs together with an easy-to-use, complementary toolkit, DevOps teams gain unmatched visibility into their cloud environment so they can seamlessly follow an alert or issue from one product into another to resolve issues quickly and get back to focusing on the more productive elements of their job. Over 275,000 customers worldwide and 499 of the Fortune 500 trust and rely on SolarWinds for their monitoring software. To learn more or to try SolarWinds DevOps products for free, please visit solarwinds.com slash DevOps. Again, that's solarwinds.com slash DevOps. And of course, we thank SolarWinds for being a sponsor this week. Well, uh, as mentioned, I'm in Bologna. And I was, I was joke saying that I wanted to get some tacos and people were very helpful in the internet. And they pointed me towards, uh, I, I don't know how they're pronounced. I could look it up and try it, but I can't, I can't speak Italian. But they got these things that are sort of like uh, structurally tacos. And I went and, had, <laughs> I went and had two of them. And man, I had forgotten. You know, you know they got that, uh, that Italian spinach they'll put in stuff? It's mm-hmm. really salty. Like I had to, I had to go get like, I've had like maybe a liter of water. I don't know how much a liter is. Is that like a gallon? <laughs> but I have had so much water and I, I realized that like I have a low tolerance for salt. It makes me so thirsty. Uh, but, but they were pretty good. I, I think it's, let's see what they're called. 
Piedinia, Piedinia. I don't know, but they're pretty good. Just very salty. Mm. And uh, I don't know. People need to figure out salt. I figured I, re- I realized that salt and oatmeal is uh, is tasty. That you need to put that in there. What, what's up with that salt automation stuff? Is that still a thing, Matt Ray? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that was a little random, but yeah, uh, they. I, far as I know, um, you know, they, they had a conference recently, I think, uh, I don't pay that close attention to, uh, to salt stack. Uh, sorry listeners. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're still out there. They're out yeah. there. They're doing it. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> good, good channel check on them. Uh, <laughs> so you collected, a few, you collected a few stories this week, Brandon, on security things about uh, is it the end of passwords, your phone number is your new social security thing? What's, what's it, so what is the end of passwords? Is that going to be over? Is this the thing where like I use the microblog platform, micro.blog, and there's no passwords. They just like email you something, which, which I find um, really annoying. Like I, <laughs> I don't like that. Like I just, right. want, I just want to put a password out. I don't want to have to go like check my email and click on a thing and then have it redirect me to Safari and redirect to this thing over here. It's, it's all very confusing. But is that, is that the way everything's going to be in the future? Well, you know, it's long been discussed. I think Matt Ray and I have discussed it many times. A lot of times people have seen these uh, little keys called these Yubico keys, right? Which mm-hmm. is uh, they implement this uh, standard called FIDO, which is really – underlying all of this is this new web protocol was announced uh, or not announced, but was starting to be ratified and actually adopted. It's called web off end. So it's basically a website that lets you register using, if you will, non passwords, right? So these will either be like FIDO keys. Then we have a little key that you stick in like a USB and we'll let you register. There's also going to be a bunch of these like through mobile devices. And so all of this is, you know, another step towards actually enabling uh, sites to not uh, provide a password. So now of course, a couple of uh, sites, the ones that you know you probably will know is like Dropbox, Facebook, GitHub, Salesforce, Stripe, and others, right? They've already implemented this standard, but that's what it, you know, I guess what will have, have to happen here is you have to see enough consumer adoption that people actually want to use this secure authentication. They don't get confused when there's not a password that they, they like, Oh yeah, I'm going to authenticate some other way. Right. And I, and they yep. know what it is. And then you're going to, so that's one side of it. So it's just classic two side market thing. That's the consumer side. And if you see enough demand for that, then you, I would expect all other sites. So instead of just doing the old, you know, username, password registration, that instead of that doing that, they'll do web authn. So, you know, it's one of these things like sometimes I, I like, you know, have, <laughs> you know, eternally cynical on the subjects like passwords are dying, but it is another step forward, right? The fact that this protocol is actually out there, it does seem some minimal traction, right? At least with like, we'll call them like security savvy people. Um, so the question is always the same though. Um, will consumers really embrace it? So back to your thing that you were just talking about, it's like, you know, cause that e- the idea of email, right? There's been a lot of companies like medium did it for a while too, where they're just like, we don't want to deal with the password. We'll just kick the, e- kick the password problem to an email service, but that's annoying. Like just what you're saying there, Cote. And, um, I don't know, like are consumers ready? Like when they don't see a password field. And, you know, and as soon as that uh, prevents registrations from not happening, people will quickly revert back. So I don't know. I don't know if the time is right or not for adoption. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I tried using one of those UB key ones. For some reason, I don't know what I was doing. I must have been really happy one night. I ordered like the uh, the $200 like 
uh, Trapper Whoa. Keeper collection of the keys they have. <laughs> I, I don't know why. It, it, it's Whoa. inexplicable. And so, <laughs> wow, you were the you're one. Like, you were the one, dude. They, they were all excited about They're you. Like, like, we, we, it's happening. It's yeah, actually it's happening. <laughs> yeah. It was like somebody who wasn't at Black Hat bought one. The two hundred dollar one. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it had, it had we like. Give everyone pro tip: just go by the YubiKey uh, booth at any one of these trade shows. And I know. You usually get one for free, so don't I don't spend that. the money. So, That's so where I got I, mine. I got the one that plugs into your laptop, right? Because yeah, yeah. here's what was happening, and maybe this is to your point: is like about every I feel like every six or eight hours when I would go to like check on some pivotal thing, I'd have to like do some two MFA nonsense because you know it needs yeah. to. be. And then I would, we use uh, Okta. Maybe this is too yep. much information to put in the public. But like, <laughs> but like, I would have to log into Okta and then I would have to like drag out my Authy thing. And back then I only had the Chrome thing, not the Authy desktop, which is great. And then you got to put that thing in there and then it's just like, what the fuck? And then sometimes, sometimes you got to do it and sometimes you don't, depending on what you're going to look at. And it was really annoying. So I thought if I put this YubiKey thing in, I won't have to do that anymore. And then you probably know the way the story happens. I still had to do that more. <laughs> so like, I was like, I don't understand what this thing is doing for me. Right. Like, right. I, and I went in and I set up all the things and, and I guess, you know, the other, so my, if it had solved that problem, I would have been very happy and it would have been great. Yes. Now, now my other problem is like, it reminds me of, uh, when 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 I was I realized in Amsterdam uh, that no one uses combination locks on their bikes, right? It's all everyone uses. I forget the brand, but everyone uses this Italian uh, bike lock, which is this big chain with like black cloth around it with the brand name, and it has a kind of lock I've never seen before. That's like a uh, uh, is it like super safe, unpickable? I'm I'm yeah. I mean, I only asked the bike person I bought it from, and yes, that's what they said. So I'm. I don't know why they would say otherwise, uh, but, but you know, it's, it's uh, I don't know. $200 bike lock. Yeah. It wasn't that much. <laughs> I think the bike lock was cheaper than the UV key trapper keeper. Uh, but you know, it's again, I don't know what a three dimensional uh, rectangle is called, but it's a three dimensional rectangle and it's a, it's got a, a, a lock in the middle and you turn the key and then you can pull up these posts that, uh, that the, the, the chain goes into. Anyways, that's a terrible description. But everyone has this where you use a key, right? And no one has a combination lock. Now, you can go to the Hema and buy a combination lock, but it doesn't seem like anyone does that. And so I was asking the bike store person, like, why doesn't anyone have a combination lock around here? And he looked at me kind of funny, and I was like, you know, a combination lock. Like, I would want a combination lock because I feel like I'm going to lose the key. And he kind of looked at me, and he said, well, I, um, maybe they're worried they'd forget the combination. And, and, but, but I feel like, so, of course, I got a key one. But I feel like a key is terrible, right? I have two keys for this lock and it's supposed to be unpickable and really hard to get off. So like, I'm just like two, losing two keys away from a bad day. Versus <laughs> so are, like, are, are, there, are there bike racks that are just like, there are bikes on there that they've got like moss on them and you know, they've just been strapped in because somebody lost the key and the, the bike is never getting off. I, I don't know if it's because they're lost, but it's like, you know, those pictures in old D&D, like modules where they would be like a skeleton chained up in a dungeon there's lots of those lots of those kind of bikes just and and, and the lock is like city. i've done my job <laughs> yeah you know i think though, Kote, like you're just having like the uh the yeah. the, the whole uh, encryption uh conversation with yourself it's like well what's better i can have this incredibly long piece of information that mm-hmm. will make sure my information is never stolen 
mm-hmm. but there's a chance I'm going to lose this cake, right? That's really, you know, yeah. and, and I will never get it back. Or is it better to like, you know, I'll just remember a combination. Like maybe I'll just reverse my birthday. Like no one would really think about that, right? They have to, and then you're like, and then your wife needs to use the bike and you're like, oh yeah, it's just the, the combinations are reversed for my birthday. And then like uh-huh. you know, she tells somebody and then it's like, well, now suddenly the lock really isn't a lock anymore. Like pretty right, much everybody right. knows. So I think this is, I mean, whether it's Bitcoin, encryption or bike locks, <laughs> It's like all the same thing. Like, which problem do you want to deal with? I lost this thing. I will never get it back. Or a lot of people know this and maybe I'll steal it. I mean, you have to pick between that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it turns out that that, uh, that Bitcoin locker company where the, the guy died and uh-huh. they're like, oh, yo, there's $200 million lost. Turns out they got into those uh, wallets and the money was already gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now they're like, wait. Wait, huh. wait, wait, huh. wait, and, and and it was gone like two months before he died or something like that. So it's like, uh, we need to go dig that guy up and make sure he's really dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's. So, I don't know how that relates to your bike lock, but uh, I'm just saying, Bitcoin, not not buying. It. I feel a true con. A, that's a true crime podcast a mega hit. Bitcoin plus uh, potential death, no death scam. That That is right right now, we should start developing that podcast. That's uh, and, 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 that, and that'll be listened to a subset of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, to close out that subject, I, I've come to realize that I feel like there's some wisdom of the Amsterdamers where they all use the key for their luck. There's got to be something, something behind that. But... You know, maybe I, I think it, I think if I had that mentality with the YubiKey, maybe it would be cool if I plugged it in and everything worked. But like then again, like then I'd be fucked because I'd lose it. So I'll tell you where it works. So Google has always gives this presentation every security company. They implemented. I think it was YubiKey too. I think everybody well, they, internally. They, 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 yeah, they bought YubiKeys for everybody. Like yeah. they bought you know like fifty thousand of them, and now they offer. Now they have their own YubiKey knockoff. Like they're they're so, selling their own. Yeah. yeah, and they have these incredible stats. It's like, I don't know, you know, phishing and um, spear phishing. And I don't, anyway, attacks that, you know, uh, basically depend on passwords or anything just essentially went to zero. They just don't. So, yeah, so you have a controlled environment and you can force everyone to do it. It's, I mean, it clearly, like, they're a case study that it works. Now, I don't know how many people are Google. You know, good question. <laughs> well, and that's kind of the key to security is, and this comes back to what we're saying about, you know, enterprises with their firewalls and stuff is like you can't leave it to the users um because people are going to go with the laziest thing possible and you know they they had the uh, the uh, snick had their state of open source security report and you know the top 10 most popular uh docker images like we're carrying 30 or 40 vulnerabilities each um and that's like because they're like, eh, but it's popular because I like to use it, right? They're, nobody, nobody will put in the effort of putting out secure stuff. And you know, I, I was at a not an enterprise the other day, like a, a a big web company, and they're like, yeah, we don't have to worry about security. We're not a bank. I'm like, whoa! I almost threw up in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like I said before, it's like, uh, I'll, I'm going to use this. So it's like, uh, no one gets to do uh, the uh, KubeCon keynote uh, for talking about how they, you know what I did? I downloaded everything. I ran the security vulnerabilities. I patched everything. No one gets to give that keynote, right? You want to be like, no, no, I built this whole new thing. It's a framework, blah, blah, blah. So there's just no incentive, right, to grab these images and like get rid of all the, the problems. So until that, well, I mean, yeah, the, the incentive you need an external incentive. And, yeah. you know, what I, what I told, you know, this, this uh, 
company. It was like, well, that's why most of like the people I deal with are, are banks and financial services and government. It's like their incentive is like people go to jail or pay enormous fines if they find vulnerabilities, you know, yeah. let alone if they're exploited. I mean, uh, I don't know about the rest of the banking world, but the, the Australian banking world has been having a lot of uh, scandals lately around uh, security and, and whatnot. So yeah. it's a, uh, well, I, I, like what, I like what you did with your, your customer, your prospect there. You're like, you have unqualified yourself as a lead. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they're, they're, they're still qualified. It's just, you got to take a different angle. This goes back to what we were talking about, you know, last week where, you know, you walk in with, you know, the three store, you know, you've got three different play, you know, playbooks you can run with a customer. You know, if you only oh, have yeah. one and if the playbook is like, well, we're here to talk about compliance and they're like, we don't care about compliance. I'm like, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> but so you know i i changed my pitch up right uh, yeah it, it, you know, uh, it's okay that makes sense you got you got to uh you got to zig and zag or something like that exactly, exactly. Huh. exigly is is that right uh, uh, u.s well so here here's here's uh i i think i think there was there was matt ray was saying we should talk about like uh, continuous integration stuff we've got a lot of time left in our hour here but like I, I coincidentally, one of the um, the business development people at Pivotal was summarizing all of the. Uh, there's been over the past what year is this? Couple of years. There's been a lot of acquisitions in the CEI space, and mm-hmm. I think I think uh, was it JFrog that bought Shippable or Shippable that J bought JFrog? I think JFrog. Uh, right? JFrog bought Shippable. Yeah. 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 Now, now now JFrog they started I guess a repository. I think yeah, our, our artifactory. Artifactory and did what did they do other things? Stuff around Artifactory. Was there not like a test suite for Java? Isn't it like back in the day? I thought that was a long time ago. I think we that's need to get a sponsor so we can learn more. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But but it's, and and then also uh, I don't I, I think we talked about this like a year or so ago sometime that like everyone seemed to be buying like continuous integration companies. I don't know who everyone mm-hmm. is, but well, it yeah. seems like a uh, important part of the, uh, I don't know, infrastructure tooling stack, if you're going to have that. And, you know, Pivotal has a couple of things uh, in, in that area and others do. And is it, I, I guess you have cloud bees. Are they sort of like the bigger, biggest, pure, continuous integration company? And then you've got Bamboo over at Atlassian, but isn't that really Microsoft. like a, a giant, like, um, what am I trying to say? There's not like a, a, a CI tool that's independent that doesn't do other things as far as a company, right? It's always like part of another stack. Yeah, well, they all want to own the, like, so so, so I think uh, CloudBees is probably the purest CI CD player. You know, I, I don't know if there's a company behind like Concourse CI. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there, there are definitely lots of players in the space, you know, and, and, you know, that's kind of why like chef pulled out of the spaces there, there's too many um, and everybody's going to have something different. And, and so, uh, and Jenkins is the, you know, 800 pound gorilla of, of open source. Um, so yeah, there, there are not a lot of independent companies doing just that thing. Usually it's like, they're going to augment it with other products. So, you know, with, with Artifactory buying Shippable, you know, they're going to go from, hey, we're the, regist- we're the artifact repository and now we have easy ways to, you know, bring things in. You know, sure, we'll keep working with Jenkins and, 
you know, Microsoft DevOps pipelines and, you know, whatever else you want to call it. And, you know, but we've got our own little thing too. And then some people will try to own like the entire story, like, you know, GitLab, uh, they've got a whole suite of tools that are trying to be like, look, look, we are your one-stop shop for everything for getting code, you know, from, from the keyboard to production. And, you know, they'll keep reinforcing that pipeline with acquisitions and writing new stuff. And, you know, maybe it's not the best to breed in each thing, but if you can go to one vendor instead of trying to glue this together with like five different tools, maybe, you know, that's attractive to some folks. Hmm. Is, is it, you know, we, we were talking about this earlier with, with the, uh, uh, the zoom us, like, is, is there for, for tool suites like this, are, are they sort of all going after like this tipping point where like all of a sudden everyone uses them and then they just use that suite to do everything? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of like you got all these options. Like, let's say you're going to start some company doing build pipelines or repositories mm-hmm. or whatever. And just like in the, uh, uh, your meeting conferencing thing, there's like 50 other ways of doing it. And yep. so, so your gamble is like, ah, we're going to have good features and we're going to like have, uh, you know, good logos and go to conferences and all this kind of stuff. But eventually what's going to happen, the way we're going to make our money is like, everyone's just going to suddenly decide we're the way to do things. I mean, I know I'm overly simplifying it, but like that's sort of the end goal is just like to be the normal market dominant thing. Cause it oh, seems yeah. like there's so many other ways of doing things that it's hard to enter that market. Now in contrast, Let's see if this is historically correct. Like back in the, uh, you know, the puppet and chef days, like at most there was only really like four or five things like that, right? You had your puppet and your chef and your ansible and your salt. And every now and then there was a fifth one scurrying about. But like you didn't need to like get to a tipping point. You just needed three other people to lose, right? <laughs> so, well, the, the incumbent was we wrote our own. It was always we wrote our own. Right, right, right. I, I mean, it's the joke about like how to outrun a bear, right? And versus yeah. like how to stand out among 50 different people, right? Like, and so like those seem like different strategies you're going through. And it seems like in, in like the CI tool space, there's a lot of them. And like mm-hmm. you could just easily make up your own and do all sorts of things. So it's hard to figure out like, just like with video conferencing, it's like, like why is the way you build something so much better than all the other options that like you are going to be the big winner of it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I don't really have a great answer, but there, there's a ton of options now. And, you know, a lot of them are going to, uh, they're going to go under um, or, you know, they're going to get acquired. Um, and, And so probably a lot of them are going for the, Hey, let's, let's just, you know, make ourselves awesome enough to get acquired. Uh, and I've, I saw, you know, we, we talked about Travis CI getting acquired. Um, apparently some of the free stuff has started to not work very well. Like, Oh, turns out, you know, uh, maybe you should start paying for your, your free software. Um, <laughs> it feels <laughs> but, a lot like that, the old, uh, console of console, you know, like oh, yeah, conversations yeah. you have where it's like, there really isn't like, there's enough companies out there and there's enough niche markets that, yeah, you could probably find anywhere from like 100 to 500 customers that have like some kind of niche specific need that you can provide, right? Like here's the way to look at consoles for telcos or e-commerce mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. And then what happens is those companies tend to like stall out rather than anyone getting really big. And then what you're talking about, 
Matt, right? It's like you get, it gets acquired for that revenue stream, but then it, it just kind of sits as a niche tool. So that's what I think all of these tools are. It's just like, there's so many different ways to do it. There's a lot of niches. So if you didn't take a ton of venture capital, right? And you kind of, you know, bootstrapped your company or maybe just took a, some small angel rounds, like maybe you can get to that hundred million dollar exit and, you know, have like a decent little revenue stream. I think all yeah. of these guys though are probably pitching that like, we're going to take it over, right? Like, uh, yeah, and nobody's going to take it over. Yeah, just like all, like, there's <laughs> so, going to be so, one Sorry, console. startups. <laughs> yeah, it's just like when you walk into a data center and you're here, it's like, yeah, we're, we're the only console you need. And then, you know, you're at Rackspace and you look in their knock and they've got like 50. You're like, oh, okay, well, this could be harder than we thought. So, um, so I think it just plays out over and over. Yeah, I, I guess that's what I was stumbling towards is like, uh, I, I, there, there, there's two types of markets here uh, amongst many. One of them is the, uh, the winner to take all market where there's a small yeah. amount of people. And eventually you have like number one and number two, basically sort of like yeah. the, I don't know, whatever you would call the, uh, the, the four horsemen of like automation stuff. Um, <laughs> that's not a very positive analogy. <laughs> Please don't be famine. Please don't be fam. Wait, wait. Please don't be pestilence. <laughs> That's right. But or or you have you know the locusts who there's just like tons of them and uh, you know how how you carve out a, a business out of that is uh, is anyone's guess. Like you know that that would be you know maybe we don't really have time to explore that there. But I would have to think about this. But is I I don't know if there's that many businesses and as they used to say application lifecycle management anymore or ALM. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the problem with the continuous integration, continuous delivery market is like, there's already an 800 pound gorilla that is free and good enough mm. for most people. Well, you know, I and, love those kind of uh, competitive environments. Those are my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is not the place that you show up and you're like, well, it's going to be $500 a user, right? You, you just yeah. can't. And so you have to find some auxiliary to it that, you know, your angle is, oh, we do, you know, source scanning and CICD, you know, which is, or, you know, we do artifact repository, you know, pa you know, we'll package up all your artifacts and we'll throw in some CICD. So if you are next to these markets, you're like, hey, we can, we can, you know, maybe CloudBees is making enough money that, you know, Artifactory or, or, or JFrog or whoever is like, you know, I bet we can make some money doing that too. Um, and so people are making that balance, but if you think you're going to be a pure play in a saturated market like that, like it's not going to happen. Mm. Um, well, the only fair way to, to measure this market is swag. And I, I'm going to say the clear leader <laughs> to me is CloudBees with the custom sneaker high tops. I've uh, seen them in pink and I've been told they're available in blue as well. So I have mm -hmm. never been given a pair of shoes, uh, at a show. So if, if you, uh, uh, I guess if you're at, I don't know how you have to get them. I assume you probably have to be like a really legit lead. You can't be Johnny Lee Jen. You probably have to give your, up your real information to get some, uh, some shoes, but maybe a uh, friend of the show. Uh, we got some cloud B guys. Maybe they'll let us give out some shoes or something. Sometimes. They're, they're like, <laughs> yeah, uh, they're cool looking. I've, I've seen some of the swag from, from J frogs, uh, swamp, uh, swamp up, uh, conference. Uh, you know, I, they've got some good stuff too. All right. Well, I don't know. I haven't seen the J frog. Up, but I, <laughs> I will take that as a personal objective. Find J frog swag. Yeah. 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 They, they've invited me like twice to that swamp thing and I always have some reason I can't go. And it's always in like Napa or something. Isn't that, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a good place to go. Right. Yeah. You should it's go. Okay. You, you make time to go to St. Louis. 
but Napa, you're just like, oh, I can't make it, guys. Sorry, I'm busy. Yeah. That's I got this. I got this thing in Des Moines. I got I got a spring one in Des Moines. I got Yeah. All right. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> they made Java in Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, you, you, the, you, you go, you go where you need to, you two know that. Yeah. N- Napa comes to me. I don't know. They don't really sell California wine out here. Kind of funny. Uh, well, uh, given that you're like next to France, I think that would make sense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot of French, Spanish and Italian. I wine can't believe the California. Uh, like, say, yeah. Let's, let's get into to central Europe. They don't really have much wine over there. Right. We should really should tech that market. Yeah, oh, I know. Like, speaking of a, of of a market that you can't compete in, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I was I was in the uh, the grocery store here, and like and like as, as the, you know, Kim and I, my wife, we have this funny joke where like we keep going to the grocery store trying to find like a good bottle of wine, and we can't find anything like that costs more than twelve euros. And it's just like our our metrics of finding good wine, which is basically cost, don't work here. There's like. Uh. You can't spend a lot of money. It's very difficult. No, it doesn't work in Australia either. There's, uh, well, there, there's not a lot of California wines here either. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. I, I, no, no, no two euro Chuck. <laughs> what, what do you got there? You got Australian and New Zealand line wines? Oh, yeah. The lots, wines come from, from further up north? All over the country, down mm-hmm. south. Did, did they make wine in like Asia? Did that just never happen? Uh, I think they're starting to some places, but you know, it's one of those things I think you need to have about 20 or 30 years to get going. Right. Oh, so, but I mean, but I mean, they've been around for several eons, right? So they've had. <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, I just mean like they didn't have the modern, you know, wine uh, technology culture in mm. place. Mm. Right. Which is why like today you can get, you know, wine from Argentina and, you know, all these places that weren't traditional wine places, but you know, right, right, and, right. and California kind of started it like, I don't know, in the sixties, seventies, like people mm. started growing Chardonnay grapes and they're like, this stuff's horrible. And they're like, come back in 10 years. And like, this stuff is passable. Right. And now it's like, Oh, this is actually good stuff. I wonder yeah. if there's a wine wall as you go East and it just kind of drops off like at some point, like, is that maybe in the, uh, some of like the, the, what do you call it? The Caucasus, the mountain range there. Does it just drop off once you get there? Kind of run through uh, yeah. all the stands. Maybe they all have wine, and then all of a sudden, just so, yeah, yeah, no more. Somebody, somebody's growing, growing themselves some some Syrah grapes and and Kazakhstan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then it peters out. The Mongols have no wine. Oh, they've got wine. <laughs> right, right. I don't know, isn't? But isn't that a mystery? Anyways, maybe I should look that up, figure that out. Well. Uh, you know, as always, this is episode 169. We actually didn't have a lot of things to cover because I was uh, had a lot of salt and had some inane questions and uh, other things like that. But if you want to get the show notes, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 169, there's several other fascinating stories. Like it uh, looks like data stacks. They're the Cassandra people, right? Yeah, yeah. They're going to IPO. Aren't they ex-Rackspace people at some point? Who, who uh, definitely, definitely some Rackspace DNA in there. Rackspace DNA. That sounds nice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there, there's coverage of, of the, uh, the CI stuff we were talking about and all sorts of exciting uh, uh, security things. Also, one of the things that would have been fun to talk about is like it, it was published, uh, was it in their, uh, their quarterly numbers or something, that Lyft is paying $8 million a month over the next couple of years to AWS, which uh, I don't know if that's a lot or a little. 
beats me. But it's, it's an interesting figure. I don't know uh, if, if, let's say, what would be a mid-sized bank? Uh, fifth of third. I only know them because they have a funny name. But like, I wonder if they ran all their stuff on AWS. Would their bill be that much a month? Who knows? Good no question. <laughs> yeah. Someone should figure that out in a spreadsheet and send it to us. And then, uh, as mentioned, I will no longer be in St. Louis. I think we might have a spring one tour in Cincinnati. I would have to look that up. But if I was going to look it up, I would go to uh, springonetour.io. There might be an S in there. I don't know. Just look it up. And, uh, and we got all sorts of ones coming up. I'll be in London and Amsterdam, a few other ones. We have ones in Asia and also uh, in the U.S. I just booked my travel to uh, Johannesburg in Cape Town, I think in April, uh, where we'll be there as well, in Istanbul. But we've got them all over the place. So uh, if you go to basically uh, springonetour.io, you can look that up and attend. And uh, I don't know. I think I'll be at some other places, but those are the main ones. How about yourself, Matt Ray? Anything exciting going on? Uh, well, I my my talk uh, for ChefConf was accepted, so I will be speaking uh, in in 2019 about uh, uh, banking on automation, modernizing uh, uh, modernizing large Asia, uh, APAC banks into modern uh, practices. Kind of the lessons learned there. So that uh, now, is that a pun? That's a pretty good one. Yeah, that was my pun. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually my specialty is is terrible titles. And puns. Uh, now, was it hard to get get that uh, chef conf uh, sponsor? I mean, did you have to hard? <laughs> did uh, did, did, did actually, it email you back like try again? This isn't relevant. Needs a customer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, f- funny story there. I, I had a customer and the customer was like, well, uh, turns out we were supposed to run the entire script through legal before we submitted the talk. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> so I lost my customer. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm talking about the customer as if they're not there. Anonymously. And, yes. Yeah. Yes, like I have, I've got an anonymous customer, um, but that uh, frees me up to, you know, Say this is, for everyone uh, reviewing talks, you have this is your choice. You can either have a customer or you can have a talk. Which do you want? You cannot have both. <laughs> it's not, you know, you could keep asking for that. That's not going to happen. No. So, I had the customer. They just well, you know, yeah, sure. You had the customer until the customer was like, "I'm about to get out of this because I'm oh my lawyer won't let me do it." Right? So, yeah, yeah. You know what you can always get? You can always but, get a partner. You can always get a partner. <laughs> like the customer. That's the other game. It's like, oh, uh, let me introduce the customer who is actually a Brad, partner who's really yeah, here yeah. to most advertise and so, so you will then then you clearly read my, my script here. So I, I I transitioned from me and a customer to me and a partner talking about the unnamed customer. Oh no, yeah, you, just, yeah. you need to get someone just to stand up there next to you. Like you're the customer today. That's, yeah, Brandon, Brandon's yeah. right. There's always someone from Accenture who will co talk with you. <laughs> there it is. So yes, come to my talk. It's going to be lovely. I believe uh, uh, today might be the last day for early bird tickets. Um, so, uh, you know, check it out. And then uh, we just announced that ChefConf uh, Europe is happening this year for the first time. Mm. So, uh, you know, When's that gonna be? Clear, June 19th to 20th, clear your calendar. You should head there. Where is it? Uh, London. London, June 19th, huh? Ooh, that, that sounds, that's going to be like visiting Thunderdome. Um, you know, so who knows what's going to be happening. Oh, is that when they have the Brexit? It'll be over or, you know, resolved or, you know, kicked down the, kick down the street for a little bit longer. Listen, listen, I'm going to give a hot take. They need to figure <laughs> that shit out. <laughs> 
<laughs> Take two passports. That's what my recommendation. Uh, two passports. Yeah. Well, we you should you should tell them that uh, that they need to have a panel, and and we'll do a live recording. Matt Ray. That's uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it to to London. That's that's a that's the longest of hauls. Mm, the longest of hauls. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell them that there should be a live software-defined talk recording with just me. And then, <laughs> and then we can realize that dream we had earlier, just me talking. Yes, for an hour. Like, Cote's going to filibuster chef comp. <laughs> I'll come in and I'll open up with, is salt still a thing? Is that a rat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Come see this idiot talk. That, that, would, that would be relevant. Uh, well, how about yourself, Brandon? Anything exciting going on? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, we've always given away t-shirts. So if you want a software-defined talk t-shirt, you can write an iTunes review or you can start this episode in uh, Overcast and send me an email at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com with your mailing address and I will send you some stickers. And uh, now we have one black t-shirt left. So you got to be quick on that one. Either that, a black, either the last black extra large t-shirt, or we have a couple of gray extra large t-shirts. That's it, guys. If you're any other size, we can help you. But also, if you're enterprising sort, uh, this week, if you were in the Slack channel, you uh, saw that uh, our friend Rookie, he wrote a review of Software Defined Talk on, uh, I guess it's called Code Ranch. I don't know. But that's even better. Just like, uh, and uh, he titled the post, Blatant Advert for Software Defined uh, uh, Software Defined Podcasts. Perfect. That's what I like. Just people out there randomly uh, recommending us. So if you want to do that, send me an email and I'll also uh, give you a sticker. And we had a couple other people writing this week. We had uh, Jeremy from Mapleton, Utah. He started in Overcast, so I got him a t-shirt. And then a friend, Jason, Justin Garrison, longtime listener of the show, he emailed me to tell me that the person I could not remember who gave the talk at QCon last week was Julia Evans. She works at Stripe and she goes by Ork on Twitter, which is B0RK. And I've got a link to her uh, talks and her Twitter. And if you want to see a good talk about Stripe and what they're doing there, check out her keynote. Yeah, I used to use Code Ranch back in the Java days. They got that uh, that dead moose on a wall over there. <laughs> go, look up, go look up how JMX works or something like that, the servlet spec. Write I'll, yourself I'll... a uh, JAS book. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Very exciting. <laughs> Real page turner there. Find it in GitHub. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess we're left with recommendations, uh, which I, th- I think is good. I, 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 I think I will have a few, but first, Matt Ray, what do you recommend? Uh, so so uh, I previously recommended um, Six and Lou's book, uh, The Dark Forest. And uh, now, uh, now I'm part of the, the three-body uh, three body problem trilogy. And so now I'm finally reading the last book and, uh, it's a real page turner. Uh, so, um, I think it's called, uh, now I have to look it up real quick, uh, death's end. And so it's the, and actually the trilogy is the remembrance of earth's past. It's really good. Um, I, there have been a few points where I'm like, Kote would hate this. (laughs) When, when they start getting into kind of the hard science about, you know, folding uh, time and space, I was like, Cote would hate this. But oh, uh, folding time and space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, uh, no talking carpets yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm not done. But so far, I'm really enjoying it. Well, and, we can only uh, hope. 
that's my my recommendation for the week is uh uh read yourself some some uh six in lu uh lu six in um and apparently there's a new uh uh big budget chinese sci-fi movie that was based off of one of his other books uh i just heard about this i haven't been able to find it in theaters but uh maybe netflix or something Mm. Well, I should I should look that up because I, I I think for several months now I've been on the hunt for just like an enjoyable fiction book to read. I, I started this one called uh, Dark Man's or something. I think it was linked uh-huh. somewhere off of the you know the Warren Ellis like Sunday Dump or something. And yeah, yeah. I, man, I've been trying to read it, and I I told I told Kim I need you to go read this book for me and tell me if I should keep reading or not. Cause it's just, just something going on there, but it's really hard to get through and it's highly recommended, but I just need something easy. Something. Uh, uh, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's easy. Like I've been thinking about the, the, the plotting, uh, the plot and, and structure. It's like, it's easy, but like every single chapter just kind of like drops some sort of bombshell on you. I was like, God, this is, it's weirdly paced. Mm. Like, you know, sometimes the characters, maybe it's like a, I mean, it's also translated from Chinese. So some, you know, maybe there's something there that I'm not getting culturally. It's really good though. But there are times where I'm like, I'm not buying these characters. Yeah. But, but, you know, that's, that's always a conceit of all like, you know, fiction. Like, you know, this wouldn't happen to one person. (laughs) I see. I see. All right. All right. I'll have to look that up. You know, we have, we have a, a book channel over in our Slack. So maybe if people yeah. have some relaxing, like, you know, there was some great discussion around some Philip K. Dick books and I would not describe those as relaxing. Exactly. Me neither. Yeah. But enjoyable. Uh, I would say that this is uh, easier reading. Mm. Like I haven't read Clans of the Elfine, Elfine Moon, Alfine Moon in a while. I seem to remember liking that a lot, but maybe that's just because I was a teenager. Uh, but I don't know. I just need some easy books, easy books to read. That'll be fun. Like, uh, like Neil Gaiman books. Where's more Neil Gaiman books. Those are good. Uh, so Brandon, what do you have to recommend? <laughs> I don't know. I got very literary for me. I don't know. I got lost in that, uh, that last segment there, but Hey, Hey, if you want something even easier, just why not big little lies on HBO, just an HBO series. Uh, just fun. I, 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 I flipped, uh, it on the other night and it's like i think it's like seven or eight episodes and it was just an easy watch kind of a fun story a uh, little mystery a little drama so if you, if you really just want to zone out i'm gonna recommend big little lies on hbo and also uh, coming soon i was gonna say uh we are gonna have abby fuller of uh, t- uh seattle taco fame on the show at some point she's gonna do an interview i have my people talking to her people we're negotiating you know how it's all gonna work uh, but really, I just emailed her and she said yes. So uh, we'll get it done. <laughs> so you guys, if you have questions for her, uh, email me and uh, mm. we'll, make sure, we'll make sure that uh, we ask them. We'll get to the important things, which I think are the tacos in Seattle and snow in Seattle. That seems to be the, the hot topics. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. snowing there. Yeah. It's and everyone in Seattle's there, freaking right? out. So I'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to the bottom of that. Like, why do, mm. why do people in Seattle freak out about snow? We'll see. I'll ask yeah. her that. Snow's fun as long as you don't yeah. live in it. I, I should I should watch that Big Little Lies. I think uh, I think it's based off of the area I live in in Sydney. <laughs> oh, even better! Nice. <laughs> and be like, oh, I've been there. <laughs> or maybe hey, it's been has has the has it been relocated to America? Yeah, uh, this one, the version I watched was was American. Oh, uh, okay. The California. I, the re- I don't know. There may be an Australian ish uh, episode. I, I think I think no. I think the uh, the book was based in 
Uh, like Northern, Northern Beaches of Sydney. Okay. Is that a relaxing book to read? Maybe I should look into that. That might be fun. Anyways, hey, I was talking to a person from Sydney, Matt, and they said yes. that uh, it's, it's like a fast-paced city and you sometimes have to like rush to make the bus on time and go through crowds of people. Is that, is that true? Is Sydney like a uh, go-go city with big clogged up bus stops? It can be. Okay. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I, I live in the northern beaches where it's a lot more uh, relaxed. Uh, but yeah, the buses, um, they can get crowded and congested and not show up and, you know, that's annoying. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, usually a good bus system. Yeah. How about, how about Hobart? What's the deal with that town? Is that considered like way out there in the sticks or is, or is that yes. a... So yes. Like, so you're saying Hobart would be like, I'm from like Kentucky or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so. Is uh, it like West Virginia layer or are we more like in the Tennessee or is it more Kentucky? How would you gradient uh, out? I, wow. All those places are bigger than Hobart. <laughs> um, right. I, I think Hobart's less than 200,000 people. Um, so you're you're yeah. sort of sort of like sort of like East Washington or Northern Maine. There you go. Yeah, it probably right. has a Van- Vancouver Washington kind of feel. Right. Right. Okay. Sounds good. Got that. All right. Well, you know, I might have recommended this before, but I was thinking I should recommend it again. Now, now you got this Japanese clothing company called Uniqlo, I think. Yep. And uh, I've been I've been wearing these a lot. They got these long johns, and everyone's got long johns that have some fancy brand, and it's called Heat Tech all one word, but they're, they're, they're great. I have several of the shirts, some of the pants, and you can just wear the shirts like a normal shirt underneath your other shirt, your, uh, your sl- short sleeve shirt. And now that I'm in like the land where, uh, you know, it's not like a hundred degrees Fahrenheit every day, uh, you got to keep yourself warm. And also like, I'm telling you what, our electric bill is something like two or 300 euros a, a month. Ooh. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta watch yourself there. Uh, there's a lot of taxes, a lot of uh, energy charges, but what man, does that it sucks. Have to do with Uniqlo? <laughs> well, the point being, one of the reasons that I use it, I wear the, their long johns a lot, is because I even wear them indoors because the yes. house can be cold. So I need to wear extra extra layering, which costs a lot less than 300 euros a month. Uh, gotcha. So that's why I wear them all the time, and I would hardly recommend them. They've got that softness to them, and they're a good base layer. So uh, you should look into those. Find find a Uniqlo in town. There's probably one there in Sydney. I don't know sure if there's is. one in Austin. There should be one in Austin. Austin people would eat that shit up. They would love it. It would be like, you remember when Ikea came to Austin and everyone was just like wazzle-dazzled for a year? It was a big deal. I, I seem to remember Uniqlo came to the U.S. and like opened like 12 stores or something, and then they kind of backed off to like two or three. Mm. So, hmm. you know, it was it – was, because because they're 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 competing against like Gap and, and like Old Navy, uh, an Old Navy, but they're not the same. They're much higher quality, and the prices it's you know more yeah. expensive because you're yeah. getting much higher quality stuff. Yeah, but they look like you know they look like that's what they're competing with. Yeah, they're in that valley of pricing death where they don't have brand to uh, to carry them. Yeah, yeah. But they're good stuff. Did you know that North Face North Face is owned by the same company that owns Lee Jeans? Did not know that. Well, there you go. The more you know. <laughs> they also own uh, Skechers, I think. Or no, not Skechers. They own Vans and, uh, and Wrangler and a few other things. Well, as always, this has been uh, Fashion Defined Design Talk 
always keeping you up to date on the latest fashion trends. No, this is Software Defined Talk. If you want to see the show notes for this episode and find other ones, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 169 or just softwaredefinedtalk.com. You should join our Slack channel. All sorts of fun stuff going on there. We're in the, the Twitter, the Instagram, even LinkedIn. And uh, Brandon lovingly maintains our LinkedIn and Instagram uh, presences. And, uh, you know, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. We barely touched any of the topics.